Welcome to the Born and Raised Music Podcast. I am Kent. And I am Garrett. And today we have James Trimble from the Dirty Govs. Dirty Govs formed in 2006 to fill a free slot at a benefit concert in the Old City Courtyard. Very nearly 14 years to the day that we recorded this podcast. Yeah. That hastily put together band has become one of the biggest music success stories to come out of Knoxville. Toured around the Southeast, packing theaters and clubs. They've done shows with bands like Wilco, The Black Crows, Need to Breathe. They played big festivals like Bonnaroo and South by Southwest. And their last full-length studio album, Hearts on Fire, debuted at number one on the Billboard Heat Seekers chart. I didn't realize that. That's actually a really big deal. Thanks, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Yep. Yeah, we might. <laughs> We're podcasters, guys. We did it, guys. We did it. We <laughs> podcasted. Um, no, and we became friends with James this past summer as we started to dream together about what a new music festival might look like in Knoxville. And uh, got to know him through that process. Uh, if you haven't heard about it, Southern Skies Music Festival is coming to you 2021. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, at some time. Yeah. Um, but no, there was this was a really great podcast because James is an, an incredible musician, but also just a super sharp marketer and a businessman and just has a pl- plenty of really great ideas that he was, he was, you know, gracious enough to share with us. Uh, yeah. We, we talk about a lot of the business side of things uh, with James and there's some really good information in there, but he, he mentioned something in the middle that's really, really important that should kind of be the footnote of every episode that we do, which is that, marketing and uh being your own band manager and like promotion all that stuff uh can help but none of it is really relevant if your music's not good yeah song is king we say that and we'll probably say it again we'll we'll say it many many times um but as far as the business side of things goes a lot of great information in there we talk a lot about um audience engagement um and i think it's important to kind of define what that is because it's become something of a buzzword uh in marketing uh over the years um, so the textbook definition is just like being involved with something for bands. What that means is that you get people to react or respond to your music, uh, to your content, to your social media, you keep them interested. Yeah. And they do a great job of it in many different ways, whether it's across social media and their engagement on that, on different platforms or just their relationships they build with their live show. Yeah. And the through line of all of this is the how of it is basically just hard work and putting a lot of thought into how to treat your fans well and give them what they want, basically. Yeah, just care. Yeah, and the the reason it's important is things like brand loyalty. You can turn listeners of your music into ambassadors of your band. They wear your T-shirt. They put their sticker on your car. Um, it's easier to get them to do calls to action, like buy a ticket to your show or something like that. Um, and it keeps them connected with you. Um, so if you put out one record a year, or if you're like the Govs, you put out one record about every six years. Yeah. You know, you need something kind of in the meantime to, to stay relevant with your listeners. Yeah. Well, we're really excited about hearing this from James. So I think it's time to jump into it. What do you say? Yeah, let's go. All right. So we got James from the Dirty Govs here. We're going to be talking about the Govs music and just honestly, the one thing that I feel like you guys did really, really well throughout your entire career was building and engaging your audience. You were able to like very organically build and accumulate a lot of fans quickly. Um, and I really want to know about that entire journey for you guys because it there's there's so many different facets that had to do with it um whether it was social media or just the type of music and and the atmosphere that kind of comes with it but um kind of rewinding all the way to the beginning like what was the first kind of bump that you guys saw from your efforts and what was your first effort that you go oh you know what this really works Mm. Man, like going way back. You're talking like all the way back, like mm-hmm. all the way back to 06. So, uh, 06 back. The the brute the Bruce is loose back. Bruce is loose. That's how. That's what broke us. <laughs> um, let's see. You know, our first. I, I don't know how much you know about kind of the genesis of the band, but uh, we we were born from a a joke that was played by Justin Hoskins, our our bass player. 
but yeah, Justin had a friend who was throwing a, a benefit concert in the old city in 2006. And if you remember the 90s band, Sister Hazel was the headliner of the benefit concert and they needed an opener. And uh, with a straight face, Justin Hoskins looked at this young promoter and said, I'm in a band. We'll open for free. <laughs> and this promoter who had spent all their money said, Justin, you're not in a band. I've known you for a decade. He's like, no, I'm in a band. Have you never heard of my band? She was like, if you're in a band, I need you to play for 25 minutes and you're the opening act. And so what happened was Justin came home. He was my roommate. Um, and he said, Hey man, we got to start a band. And you started uh, on a grift. You're grifters. Yeah. yeah we're grifters. And he was like, Hey, we, we've got to start a band. And I said, what are you talking about? He's like, we got a gig in 10 days and we've got to come up with 25 minutes of music and we're going to play in front of a crowd in front of a band that's actually relatively well-known, especially in the nineties. They were super well-known. <laughs> I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So, um, there were five guys living in the house and three of us joined this band. Um, and then we had a common friend whose nickname was the governor. And without getting into too many details, the governor convinced us that these other three people needed to be in the band. Uh, one of which was Michael Jenkins. I had never met Michael Jenkins. And then nine days later, we were on stage and now we <laughs> write, write songs together. Um, another was a, a previous member of the band, uh, a guy named Chris Duty, original keyboard player in the Dirty Govs, a very good friend of mine. The best part about Chris joining the band was uh, he joined the band when he said, I think I have a keyboard under my bed at my parents' house. That's all um, the qualification he needed. Um, yeah. And, and so if you can imagine, um, so to aspiring musicians out there, the quality of the music that was on stage, uh, that afternoon, uh, in the old city parking lot right there behind club 106, which turned into the red iguana, which is now, I think southbound. Is that right? Yeah. That More sounds right. Yeah. Between Southbound and Barley's. I went to the Red Iguana to see Mr. Mac do where are you from fool to eight, six, five in 2004. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess yeah I, I mean yeah rest in peace for sure where are you from uh i guess all i can say is that 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 story is kind of that's the story of the dirty govs um every step of the way has kind of been you know let's see let's give this a shot this seems a little ridiculous um, we, we were, we were very strategic early on, I guess, tips that would give people more hope than the ridiculous nature of that story. Right. We were, we were super strategic early on with how often we played in Knoxville. Um, and we, we wanted to, I mean, I went to tons of concerts. I was just a concert junkie, um, went to, you know, the Prez pub all the time, went to Barley's all the time. Those were the, the places to be back when our band was 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 cranking at the beginning. And uh, it, it was interesting. I had some friends that were in bands and it was like they were playing every weekend or every the first Friday of every single month at the same venue. And one thing that was really hard was when they kept asking me to come over and over again and see him play the same six songs. And I was like, I was like, man, I love you. But, um, like, do you have new songs? Like, cause it's hard to write new songs, right? <laughs> you don't just, you know, crank out a bunch of brand new hits. And so one of the kind of strategic things in the back of our head at the very beginning was let's make every event worth coming to a like spectacle. a spec. Let's make it a spectacle. Um, Early on, I mean, we did things like, I mean, this is crazy, but early on, we would do things like buy like 12 dozen roses and put them on the front of the stage, uh, which those aren't cheap. Sure. Uh, we would put them, up, put them up there as like decoration, and then we would give them out to people in the audience, like during the first two songs. I, I'm talking at like a bar. We would do that. 
And people, and so now people are walking around the bar the whole night with this, you know, stem rose in their hand. Um, and they're like, this band gave me this flower. And, you know, it was just this kind of spectacle. And, you know, the guy uh, that think, walks through downtown in the old city selling single roses to people on dates. Yes. Did that guy, yes. that guy ever look at you side-eyed for, for pulling that? No, I don't think he, I don't think he did. I don't think he's stepping on his turf. But um, I'd be lying if I said one of our band members didn't dress up as him on uh, Halloween <laughs> one time. It was Justin. Was it Cosmo? Cannot, it was no. It was it was Mitch, our our former. He was an original oh. band member. Mitch uh, was like one part conga player, two parts. Uh, backup singer and bass player. We were such a strange That's awesome. mix of of average to below average musicians at the beginning. It was just such a uh, such a an interesting interesting thing. But yeah, we kind of treated, and we still do. We treat every show like you know, good good chance. There's only a few more of these. Um, you know, saying every show's your last is a little bit ridiculous. But it's like, hey, you know, we might not be able to do this much longer you never how know do we, how do we top ourselves too right know? yeah great yeah, lessons in there for bands playing out in their local scene whether it's here or anywhere and that's limiting your hometown plays and making every show an event i, I think i think that's something that everybody could do well even the bands that that view it in that way to to kind of you know push into that and, and think about it more and, and try to make every every time they step out on stage a new experience especially for people that are coming back to see them over and over again right i mean you guys you're gonna, are you're gonna mom and dad can only watch the same show twice you know so many times right right you know and it's yeah it's just it's just hard it's hard i mean for us it was a lot of there's a lot of you know it was a lot of spectacle and marketing while we were learning how to write songs and perform them. Um, you know, I mean, it, it takes a long time to kind of get comfortable in your own skin on stage. And so, uh, I think for me, I, you know, I didn't, this was the first time I'd been a singer. And so I was, you know, I, I, I grew up singing at church in middle school, you know, choir, I mean, things like that, but I'd never, <laughs> Let's just say I was never asked to be the soloist and I never wanted to be the soloist. Uh, and so the way that all kind of came together was just, I mean, this is also just kind of funny. Um, it's funny cause I've never really told all these stories in a long time, but it was, uh, so we get this band together at the beginning band quote, uh, and everybody's got an acoustic guitar. It's like, well, that's not going to work. Um, and so we're trying to figure out like, what's everybody going to play? And it's like, well, um, I don't know. And we look around and, and literally, uh, I was the, I was by far the worst guitar player in the group. And so everybody just said, you, you just be the singer because <laughs> you, we don't think we want you playing guitar. <laughs> you were chosen as singer by your ability to play guitar. And that, what's so funny about that to me is that like, I really admire your voice. You have a really like unique voice. That's really, it's a really great like timbre and tone. And the fact that like they were like, just let James be the the vocalist. It's like, are you sure? Because he has an amazing voice. <laughs> Maybe we should choose him because he's awesome. I appreciate the compliments, but I'll I'll tell you that it was. I think it took a while. I, it was just a lot of shouting for the first two or three years. I think it was just me on stage, just kind of shouting and, and doing as many, you know, kind of want to be, you know, Greg Allman, you know, howls as possible. Um, and, and, but we played, you know, we played lots of cover songs early on. Um, but, but here's the other thing we were dead. This, and this is what cracks people up when I, when I thought we were so dedicated to writing original music, even if it was crap. Like in that first 10 days, <laughs> we learned, I think, four classic rock covers and we wrote three songs and they're embarrassing. They're embarrassingly bad. But we got up and we played them in front of people. And 
mostly we just didn't know what we were doing. That's like being yeah. thrown into the deep end to learn how to swim. Like three songs in 10 days for a brand new band, some of whom have never even met each other is, I mean, that's, that's a big ask. Well, writing three songs in 10 days is a lot of, a lot to ask on top of the fact that you had to rehearse them and perform them. But like, I'm, I don't know. So you, you guys cut your teeth. You learned a lot through those first shows. And then, I mean, you kind of, you know, I, I know there was a lot of story in between, but like you kind of look fast forward. I feel like you guys have this massive following. Like, how, how did you get there? Like beyond just consistency and building those followers through some, some Prez pub plays, but like what, what was really the gasoline in that formula for you guys? I think, <laughs> I think it was our, just our live show. Really, when you get down to it, it was, I mean, we, we, early on, we did things that were so silly looking back, like things like switching instruments on songs for just whatever reason. Um, and it was, but it was just something that engaged the audience, right? Sure. We, we were, we were the furthest thing from superior talent. Um, and we still are. Um, and we were also, a very far cry from, um, I mean, we wanted to throw like a party, you know, yeah. I and mean, that, was, that was really important to us. Uh, cause bands that I loved, like the sixties and seventies bands, they were all about this kind of festival party atmosphere. And so early on, you know, that was what we wanted to celebrate. And so we were always trying to get, other musicians on stage with us and we were always trying to you know do things on a whim you know we would have a set list but then we you know right during the encore we'd be like well let's just play four songs instead of one just screw it <laughs> right you know just do it you know well, we didn't rehearse the other ones just who cares just do it let's just play them you know and james you unknowingly <laughs> uh pulled out the kind of word of the day like what what we the one thing we really wanted to talk to you about today is building and engaging an audience because we think that you guys do that probably better than than anyone that we've ever seen and a lot of the stuff that you talked about i mean you talking about playing four songs in your encore instead of one and and doing all these things to to make each show special and that that's just it it's just the like the thoughtful nature of giving mm. your fans so much every time, not every time, not even every time you go out and play a show, but like with your email list and with your social media mm. and all the content that you make. I mean, you guys put a lot of thought into how to uh, keep audiences engaged with whatever it is that you're doing. And that is really what we wanted to uh, kind of press into the most in this episode. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's the first time I saw Wilco play. They had 16 songs in their set and they played an eight song encore. That's amazing. And I, and I talked about their eight song encore for like a <laughs> year. And now here I am like a decade later talking about still it. Still talking about I'm it. I'm still talking about it. It was at the Tennessee theater. And I just remember it was like, I didn't have enough, you know, it was like, I wanted to like pour beer on my head after every single, they're going to play another one. Are you kidding? <laughs> Absolutely. I can't believe it. And and it, it's those lasting moments that just kind of stick with people. I mean, I hope we've created a handful of those for for our much smaller than Wilco fan base. Good uh, <laughs> years, but yeah, it's just it's one of those things where you just gotta I don't know, you gotta be comfortable with just trying something new. And as far as engaging our fans, you know, we always, I mean, yeah, can I provide some more tactical? Things that aren't just, you know, be ridiculous. That's what we're here for. Um, yeah. Get up on stage. Give them the razzle-dazzle. Yeah. <laughs> give them the razzle-dazzle. Find a cool pair of pants. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> cool pairs of pants are cool. Or they're important. You know, they Check. are important. 
I got those. Cool boots. <laughs> you know, I wore cowboy boots. I don't wear cowboy boots in real life, but when I get on stage, I'm wearing cowboy boots. It's just how it goes. Um, I, I would say one thing that was really important to us as a band early on is we found a, a partnership with a, a, a graphic designer in town who was making posters uh, for some bands that we thought were cool. And we contacted this guy and we said, hey, um, we want you to create like, this is a business strategy of us, but we want you to create a brand, something that we will put on everything forever until we come up with a better brand. <laughs> he was like, cool. And he was like, yeah, no problem. That's like $5,000. And I was like, no, hold on. We're a, <laughs> we're a band. So how about $500? <laughs> and he was, he was like, yeah, we'll meet somewhere in between. Now we met much, much closer to $500 than 5,000, but it was, it was an investment that was worth it. So yeah. we were able to hire this guy that, that had a real eye um, and whether he knew it or not, uh, you know, and I might as well say his name, it's Brian Garvey. Great guy, Brian mm-hmm. Garvey, bass player in the coveralls. If anybody's out there, oh, being yeah. fan. Oh, so, nice. uh, incredible, good friend of the band and has, has done so much design work for us through the years. Uh, he actually, the, the, the new cover for revival, our upcoming album. Uh, oh, did he do that? He did that. Yeah. Yeah, like he, that. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, great guy. Um, so, yeah, I guess yeah we we spent money on branding early on. We, uh, you know, things that really made it work for us is we never kept a penny of anything that the band made for five years. Man, five years. So we all of it went back right to investing in the band. Every penny, nobody for five. And we, and it wasn't like we said, 12 years is the cutoff and then we'll do it. But it, it was right at five years where we just said, look, this is fun. And we kind of just told everybody in the band, like, if you want to keep doing this, you got to get other jobs and you got to know whether we make a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or whatever we make it's going right back in. Cause we're going to spend it on, roses at the bijou theater to throw out in the audience or we're going to spend it on recording um we're going to spend an extra thousand dollars on mastering just so that when we release that album that we can say it was mastered by that guy that we think people have heard of um is he any better than the guy that's a little cheaper survey says i don't know (laughs) but from 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 a marketing perspective it kind of gave it always gives you something to talk about it allows you to punch above you know, punch above your weight class. A yeah. Bit, you know, that's a good way to, that's a good way to think about it. I mean, we, we, we played kind of local Knoxville lore stories about us would be, we, we played at Barley's like three times a year. And that would be our only, we would only play Knoxville like three times a year, period. And this was as we were kind of building the band and we would only play there maximum three times a year. And when we got to the point, I mean, we were, we were blessed and people were coming out in droves. I mean, it was getting crazy. We were like the yeah. New Year's Eve band at Barley's. You were packing it out. I don't know if I've ever told you this. The first time I ever tried to go see you guys was one of those Barley's shows and I couldn't get in. They wouldn't let me in. And I've never heard of Barley's doing that before or since. Yeah, That's I think that awesome. might be the one time in their history that they were like, no, we're full. <laughs> so I had no, to catch you for the first time at the Bijou Theater a couple of years later. Yes. Well, and we went from the Bijou, and, or sorry, from, the, from Barley's, because we were doing like $5 cover shows, and we, it was getting to the point where like five and 600 people were coming to Barley's, and it was just bonkers. And it was just the sweatiest sweat fest you can imagine. <laughs> and we we approached um you know we 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 approached the bijou theater um and ac entertainment and we were like guys we really want to play at the bijou like we you know we got this album that we've recorded we're this band we're this barley's band like (laughs) let us we want to just play and and i think it was one of those things where we 
it was almost like the the story is like they didn't really believe it or something. Right. And we were like, we were like, wait, no, but for real, like, can we just do like a ten dollar ticket? At, now we didn't have any understanding into the mechanics of how a right. deal, like works. what a house nut is, and like we had no clue. The expenses we involved, had, sure. We had no clue, and so when they told us no, we were like, well, what? You know, like, what does it cost? Like when somebody wants to get married at the Bijou, like what do they pay to rent the place? And they're like, well, here's the price. I don't remember what it was. And we were like, well, then that's what we want to do. We're just going to rent the Bijou. And so we rented it. And then you start realizing there's all these kind of hidden costs. Like, oh yeah, you gotta have security guards. <laughs> you gotta right. have like, and so then suddenly it's like, we're footing the bill for all the line items. And let's just say we didn't make a lot of money that night, but we did a $10 ticket at the Bijou and, and, uh, and we sold the stupid thing out and it was, it was great. And we made almost $0. It was awesome. Well, it had to have been uh, the last $10 ticket at that place. Right. Yeah. The only way ago. you can make money is to like, I think $18 is like their floor. Yeah. For a yeah, ticket. It was, it was, it was rough. I mean, we, we like kind of barely, broke even but but that again that was was just one of those things that was just kind of the like you don't get in you don't get into music because you think like oh this is like a really good business plan like this is gonna make (laughs) a lot of sense like yeah like you don't you get into it because you love it. Well, not only that, but like I think a lot of people look at bands and go, yeah, I'm going to do this, and then things are going to start happening. And it's like, no, if you make a business plan, your break-even's not at the earliest of any business plan I've ever looked at. It's like three years in. So like, why would you ever expect it to be any earlier than that? You know. And so I think a lot of bands start out, and they're like, yeah, we've been doing this for two and a half years, and we haven't made a dime. And it's like, yeah, that's welcome, right. <laughs> welcome to business. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot of businesses. Period. <laughs> yeah, and you're in you're in a really hard industry, so it's going to be harder than that. You oh. know, every overnight success is a ten year story. You know, but shoot, yeah. man, I'm hearing that story, hearing you say, "Gosh, we played the Bijou. We didn't we didn't make any money." I, I hear that. I'm like, my God, you rented out the Bijou and didn't lose your ass. Like, yeah. like, yeah, like that in itself is a feat. It was a feat. It was yeah. a feat. I guess kind of for us, it was, and that was, you know, yeah, we've been around a while for any new it, bands out there. And that's, that's still played into like you guys punching above your weight class. Like being able to f- fill the Bijou, I feel like plays into the lore the, of the, you know, the story that you guys were building. Um, Another thing that I remember you telling me a little bit about was just like your dedication. You guys came onto the scene like right as social media was a thing. Like bands now are like, of course, we have to do all these things. But like you guys were figuring it out as it was being invented. You know what I mean? So like what, what, what did you guys have to do to figure out what role that played in a band's story? with Twitter and Facebook and all these things kind of popping up as you were building your audience. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound too old, but Facebook wasn't a thing my freshman year of college. So <laughs> there, that's pretty old saying, uh, it that, came that, out that's... my sophomore year of college. So that's, 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 that's where I'm punching right now. <laughs> um, we, and we didn't start the band until I was out of college. So yeah, social media was a really, a really new thing. Um, I was, I was 24 years old when our band started, which is an amazing, amazing thing to think back on now. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Facebook was, was relatively new, I guess, less than five years old when, when we started. And we, we were very active, not just in, um, creativity of posting and promotional giveaways and things we were very active in that we were dead set on building like relationships with people, even if they're such a small relationship and it may even sound silly to call it a relationship. But I remember early on, I mean, for like, I'm talking like three or four straight years. If you commented on something that the dirty govs put, on social media, you received 
a private direct message from our band saying, thank you. We appreciate it. Have you ever come to an engaging question? Not just thank you. We love you. But have you ever seen us live? What's your favorite song? You know, something like that in like a direct message. And if you want to talk about something that that will blow a music fan's mind is one in 20 of those people that we would message were like, wait, no, I am a fan. I actually do like you. And I can't believe you just sent me a message. And my whole week is now amazing because you did that. Now, the other 19 were people like, dude, I saw you in a bar and you're okay. Like, no. <laughs> but, but for the one person that you created that kind of moment with, and we would, we would have, again, again, it sounds like so businessy. It's almost like we would create these like drip campaigns of engagement before drip campaigns were a thing. Like it, it would, it would be like, we would in, we would reach out, like, thank you so much for contacting us. Like, have you ever seen us live? Like, what's your favorite song? Like if they responded to that, then like, we're probably sending them like a, like a sticker in the mail for sure for free. I mean, maybe depending on their enthusiasm, there's a chance they might get a t-shirt for free in the mail. And is that ridiculous? Yeah. But you can kind of gauge a person's level of ridiculousness when it comes to their fandom. And uh, one of the big things that we would kind of, I mean, this sounds silly, but one of the big things we would give away early on is we would give away stickers and then we would give away, we would give away koozies at shows. Um, and a lot of them would just end up on the ground and people didn't take them home. But if you think about this, if, if so, from like a marketing perspective, if someone has decided to spend their Friday night with you and then as they walk in the door, you give them something for free. You've created a memory that is outside of how good your song is because they might've just showed up to that bar with their girlfriend and their girlfriend thinks the keyboard player is cute or they heard that we rock. Uh, they, and all of that is really thin when it comes to creating a relationship because it's all passing. How many cute keyboard players and lead singers and you know, <laughs> bands that cover the Rolling Stones are there? A million fleeting, but very fleeting. But how can you create that moment? And I'm not saying everybody out there needs to give koozies away at the door, but they are only about (laughs) 50 cents. Yeah. As far Um, as promotional, (laughs) hard to beat koozies. (laughs) Yeah. But it, it was just the thing of like, how can we, you know, and then as social media was, was a thing, I mean, people start like taking pictures of like the stickers that we sent them that they put on their car, they put on their laptop case or the koozie that they're holding at the beach. Um, and that was, I mean, I think that kind of thing, it works. Um, now, I mean, of course it does. I, the, that, that like, that approach has a two pronged effect. And one is like, holy crap, this band that I really like actually took the time to send me something in the mail. Like that, and that, that's kind of the whole yeah. theme of, of this conversation of audience engagement. It, it's not like some kind of marketing tactic in the sense that like, you're like, I'm going to send them a sticker and then I'm going to get them because they're going to buy all my records. No, it's, it's like a genuine... <laughs> they're, on, they're on the hook. You guys are working your ass off to show... <laughs> your appreciation for these people that are coming out and spending their money to, to go see you play live. And, and that has impact. Um, and the, the second part of that is like, if you're sending them stuff with your branding on it, stickers or koozies, like they take it out somewhere. Um, they put their sticker on their car and there's your brand going out all over town. Like that's, that is so, so incredibly smart. And I'm so glad that, I mean, I, I knew you guys did a lot for your fans, but I didn't even know it was to that level. That That is awesome. Well, and I guess for us, I mean, we were straight Like, I was in graduate school at UT. It was funny. Like, our drummer was in high school. I was in grad school. And then a couple people were in college. Some people were out of college. It was just like such a smorgasbord of people and ages. And, I mean, we really engaged the University of Tennessee like it was a decision we made early on. I mean, I'm I'm talking. I don't know if people still hang up posters anymore, but I mean, I mean, I, I'm talking. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking 250 posters on campus for a five dollar <laughs> barley show. 
like it was it was excessive you know and uh but i think it kind of worked you know we would focus on presidential courtyard and uh you know i don't even know if that's a thing anymore um but you know areas where the the freshmen and underclass and you know under undergrads live those people can't even get into barley's (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know but you know i think it was just we were just trying to spread the good word. Awareness, the man. Awareness, yeah. So, okay, so you, you obviously you spent so many years building this band. And I mean, I remember, so I moved to Nashville. And you guys were obviously a big deal in Knoxville. And then started to branch out. Like, what made that jump to other cities work? Because, I mean, the first time, what was the first show you played in Nashville? I, wanna, I know that you guys, didn't you guys play the Exit Inn at one point? We did. Oh gosh, but we played lots of venues before then. Um, man. Yeah. We played, we kind of focused on, we focused on Atlanta and Nashville and Chattanooga. (laughs) We played a lot of shows in Johnson city. There was some small bars there that was, I mean, it was really fun, but then there weren't Al Capone's. Yeah. Al Capone's. Oh oh gosh. We've played there at least 15 times. Oh yeah. Um, there's nothing like a 2:30 a.m. loadout. out that load out, <laughs> and nothing will make you wiser and stronger than after you do that for the tenth time. And you're like, all right, here we go. Existential experience. Here we are. It's it's special. Um, yeah, I mean, we started venturing out, but we also we did not. You know, we early on we had some like connections with some small booking agencies and they're like, we'll put you on the road and do the thing. And we, one, we just didn't really want to do that. Um, I don't think we were ready to make that kind of commitment of like, let's go out a hundred plus days a year and make zero dollars. Um, but I, I do think, you know, for us, it was, it was much more focused on, let's get better at writing songs and let's get better at putting on a great live show. Cause that's what people spend money on is the right. live show. Um, and let's, let's make it count. Um, and you know, I, I say all these kind of marketing and like businessy strategy things, but the truth is in music, the product is the song. <laughs> Songs and, king. Yeah. The song is king. And so it doesn't, if anybody was like listening to this and they're like, golly, I gotta like take a marketing class and like buy a bunch of stickers and stuff that can help. But you know, there's like an old phrase, like nobody got ever got rich off of coupons. Like you can get (laughs) really good at coupons, but you're not going to like attain like the wealth you desire or like, like you're not going to like get so good at coupons that suddenly you bought a new car. Like it's never going to do that. Like you're going to save money on your groceries and you're going (laughs) to, you might get a a cool something. Uh, But I kind of use that as a metaphor of like um, your marketing will help you in a big way, but if there's not a product behind it, then you know, and I think for us, our product was more focused on the live show early on. That was what was clicking. Um, and we had a handful of songs that were clicking. Um, you know, any band that gets really big, the, the reason is not because of their marketing. It's of because course. they had a really good song or, or a collection of songs. Yeah. You know, as we do all these podcasts on how to help like musicians uh, on the business side of their music we i feel like we should have a caveat in every episode of like hey none of this is going to work unless you have good songs (laughs) unless unless you're good at playing music like all of this is basically irrelevant all of it is just a multiplier to the original um you know variable and if the the original variable you know being music isn't a big number it won't matter what those other numbers are you know what i mean because you know it's it's it really comes back to that original note which is the which is the song and if you have great music then obviously a great marketing plan is going to make it even more successful it'll have an exponential effect on it but an exponential effect on zero is still zero <laughs> it's zero right yeah it it is zero and i i think too like when i think back on like the musical journeys that we've been on if if there was one thing, so 
to not start not talk so much kind of strategy and to really think more about like the artistic side of it all. And maybe you'll want to talk more strategy. I mean, I'm fine talking whatever, but on the artistic side of it all, the moments when we grew the most was when we weren't striving, like meaning like our fan base grew the most. It was when artistically we were just doing things that we genuinely loved. Like, we genuinely love the Rolling Stones and the Almond Brothers and the Black Crows. Like, I genuinely love that. Some people are like, oh, yeah, that's cool, like, at parties and stuff. Like, I genuinely love that music. That is what I genuinely love. And whereas lots of, um, lots of people might be chasing kind of the next hip thing, that was – loving that was, was truly not hip. Uh, when our band was starting, um, it wasn't like, Oh, everybody's into that. <laughs> um, it, it, and what's funny is, you know, I can use this metaphor, well, not metaphor, but this example. So there was the Kings of Leon was this huge phenomenon. Um, and we were like, well, they're Southern guys that like Southern rock. Now they're way edgier than we were. Um, but they kind of went in this more kind of, pop uh, arena a rock sound for a while maybe they're still there i'm not sure yeah they, they really polished up their sound and we tried to do that and we sucked at it <laughs> like we sucked sucked at it like so bad and what was funny was like we put out an album and uh, there is that the album's called Somewhere Beneath These Southern Skies, and it had 14 songs on it, way too many songs for an album. And they were all long, just way too long of an album, period. Uh, and about half of those songs was us, in my mind, trying to kind of blend in with this thing that the Kings of Leon and a few other bands were kind of doing, this kind of like Southern meets modern. Um, and it was not what we were best at. Like really, when you get down to it, we're we're a band that's that's better at southern rock, good time, feel good music. That old time rock and roll. And yeah, and what's hilarious is like track ten, I think, on that album is the song Fair Lane, which is by far our most popular song. It was a song that we we almost didn't put on there because like it was literally the last song to make the album and we almost didn't put it on there because we thought it wasn't like who we thought we were trying to be. <laughs> and is that not so funny? And now it's one, it's our fans' favorite song. It's one of my favorite songs. It's like it it connects with people in this way. And the the truth is, is it was it's just this kind of natural outpouring as opposed to this thing that we were trying to fit into. Uh, so talking about engaging an audience, like having good music is part of that. And so is having good like content for social media or good video content. And I wanted to ask you, I've, I've actually wanted for a very long time to ask you about the, uh, the baby we were young video. Cause that was a music video that like, you guys really put a lot into that and really went for it and it paid oh, off. Yeah. It has like over 260,000 views on YouTube as of today. Um, yeah. And I want to know that the one with Chisholm in it. Yeah. I want to yeah. know how you got that, Wayne that's really Chisholm ultimately all we want to know. <laughs> and David Keckner, uh, champ from, uh, Anchorman and, uh, and Haley Williams from Paramore. Like, how did you, how did you guys get them to hop on this thing? So, that video took, man, I'd have to go back. I think that video took six months to put together. I mean, that it sounds like right. A, it had skydiving and, and uh, flaming arrows into music and audio uh, equipment. Maybe four months. But yeah, so, <laughs> so we partner, you know, in, in talking about like partnering with, you know, creative people to kind of raise your, your musical village. Uh, we, we partnered with a guy named Scott Murphy very early on. And he, he had a company that he was building called Badland, uh, Badland Pictures. Is yeah. the name of it. He's actually, he's actually out in 
California now. He's he's big time. He's Hollywood. Murphy. Really, really talented filmmaker. Super, Murphy. super talented. Yeah. yeah. So we, I call him Hollywood Murphy now. <laughs> um, he's out there doing it big, and uh, we partnered with him early on. And and I mean Scott would just go on the road with us. Um, he had some friends that would kind of join in and go on the road with us. Matt Dearman was a, was a guy that was in their company and they, uh, they just had big, crazy, uh, symmetrical visions or symmetrical aspirations of creating kind of ridiculousness that we did. Uh, and that idea of the, the baby young video was actually, that was their video, their, their video idea. And Justin Hoskins in our band was also really, you know, pivotal in putting all that together. Uh, and so Justin works really closely with them on kind of lining up a lot of the different, uh, <laughs> a lot of the different scenes. But yeah, stuff like David Kechner. I mean, we literally were playing like the morning show on, you know, like Fox 43 in Nashville. And it was like Kechner was at Zany's that night and he was in there doing his morning spot. That's amazing. His comedy comedy show. And we just walked up to him. We were just like, hey, man, you want to do something awesome? And he was just <laughs> like, sure, let's try something awesome. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, Why don't you dirty boys do the following? Destroy a bunch of your equipment. And then for the grand finale, take a flaming arrow, draw it back on the bow, and let it go into an amp challenge. A friend of mine was a roadie with the band Paramore mm-hmm. uh, and worked with, with them for like five years in his early 20s. And You literally threw up everything against the wall and you're like, let's just try it. Let's just see what they say. Let's just, what are they going to say? No, let's just see. It was, yeah, it was ridiculous. The, uh, the, the, the Bristol Motor Speedway. So we, we drove our van yeah. on Bristol Motor Speedway, which is ridiculous. That's right. That's crazy. It's ridiculous. That's actually the most ridiculous thing. For people that are like NASCAR fans, which I'm not. Sorry if anybody is. I'm, I'm just not really. But for people that <laughs> are NASCAR day. fans. One day you will be. One day Maybe I one day. One day will be. But for people that are like hardcore fans, it's literally like, they're like, you, like you met like the Pope. Or like you met like the president, like you met, like you met Mick Jagger, like yeah. when you drove on that, like you don't even realize you drove on the freaking Bristol Motor Speedway. And that all happened because we played a lot of late night shows at Capone's in Johnson City. And this guy that would come oh, to those amazing. Shows, he worked for Bristol Motor Speedway. And, but yeah, that's the, we, we threw it all on the wall. I mean, when we were looking for, kind of ridiculous things you had you had chisholm in it but did you guys the one thing you did you have any neeland in it i don't i can't remember remember that one didn't no and how did you get to avoid being one of the ones that had to be dunked on by wayne chisholm hi i'm wayne and i want to challenge the dirty governors to a basketball game if you accept the challenge i (laughs) was out of town that day the day when chisholm was available i was out of town I was just I was watching that video early today earlier today and I was like God, poor Hoskins man he just had to deal with <laughs> Chisholm just relentlessly dunking and on him Hoskins for this video. Hoskins is just one of the whitest guys in the world. Just kidding. Uh, he's a sandwich stuffed down his face. <laughs> well, we I believe I believe if you go back, so we have three redheads in our band, which is a super rare phenomenon, you know, to have three. We were three three of six of our band having yeah. red hair is already, um, it's a rarity. But to go mm-hmm. three for six with red hair, it's a big deal. And so I think what we did in that scene, if you go back and watch, we figured a uh, large, talented, African-American basketball player, male, who we all love, let's put our three white, <laughs> red-headed guys on the court with them and see what happens. And so, you know, it's, there's some deep symbolism here going oh, on you know, about great. athleticism and uh, <laughs> it was almost like, what's the funniest scene? Like, oh, put the three. Really yeah. Why, why guys can't jump, right? Just uh, basically you're Woody Harrelson's of the group. Yeah. Oh, man. Man, I just, I mean, obviously Kent and I both are huge UT fans and huge Chisholm fans. That was one of the things that when I, we just were like, gosh, these guys must be the biggest deal. They know Wayne Chisholm. <laughs> Chisholm, Chisholm's, uh, you know, like attracts like Chisholm. 
is a very ridiculous human. When you get to know him in person, he's, I mean, he's hilarious. He's like wearing flower hats, like in public and like all these ridiculous clothes. And he's just a funny guy. We would new year's Eve. I think it was three years in a row. We just brought him on stage with us and he would just kind of do one of these, just kind of <laughs> just dancing in the background. And he's a great, he's a great guy. He's I was still, in college at the same time as him. And he and I had a lot of really funny run-ins. I saw him one time yeah. during finals, somebody started a dance party and he was walking through Hodges library. And when it, it was like, somebody was like, let's start a, uh, a dance party in the library during finals and he walked in and just like was holding books and just like threw them up in the air and goes fuck this shit and just started dancing with everybody <laughs> he's a man he's a man oh, man. from the same fabric he liked ridiculousness that's awesome so. yeah you guys too you guys do as well i mean you guys are you know y'all like we like a spectacle we, we can like be good folks uh, with the best yeah. of them well i know it's already it's it's we, we had it we've we've eaten up more than time than you you know we we have but i I want the last thing one of the things i want to talk about is um obviously we've been working together um on a festival and um i would love to hear from your perspective kind of like as a band what like what drew you to that and then what are you most looking forward to in that like where just the story of that a little bit yeah is it still canceled or are we going to try to pull it off still yeah everybody if you're listening two weeks from now (laughs) great time uh yeah so for us why are we drawn to it i mean to us it was you know it was an extension of something we had kind of dreamed about for a long time but you know before we met you guys you know we didn't feel like it was something we could really kind of jump in and try to pull off on our own um you know it takes it takes a village uh, to kind of raise some of these bigger ideas up and um you know for us it just it just feels like to me it feels like knoxville needs a festival that is just all about a really good time music that is not uh too esoteric um that can be accessible by many um and maybe that's just me speaking from the brand of who we are. Um, and and I, I just love the idea of a festival taking place in World's Fair Park. It just it just brings me so much happiness. Like I know that there were there were early days of like the Smoky Mountain Jam and Ashley Cats, the early days of AC Entertainment, bringing like widespread panic. Hot summer nights. Hot summer nights. I mean, bringing widespread panic and like the Counting Crows and like the Wallflowers. Now these are all the the bands from the '90s that you know I still love. Uh, but those those types of bands that kind of create more of a, a festival atmosphere. Um, that's just what we've always wanted to do. So we were, we were really excited when you guys were like, Hey, we've, we've been kind of dreaming up something similar and you know, we'd, we'd love to look at like a world's fair parks. So, I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's coming in, it is. in May, 2021. <laughs> yeah. If you, if anyone's out there being like, Hey, live entertainment sounds like really like risk adverse kind of investment. <laughs> Um, we thought we planned for everything and, you know, I mean, no one saw this coming, but you know, I'm excited to to have someone like Dogwood Arts involved because we're, we're, a, we're able to push forward, you know, and I think in any other s- scenario, we'd be dead in the water. And just because they believe in the idea, they're like, yeah, no, we get it. Let's keep doing it. You know? So I'm, you know, 2021, I'm excited that it's going to happen. But, um, so you guys are, you're going to, you're going to record this record. You still pushing for the fall? We honestly, I'm, we're not even ready to say kind of like what? a date yeah. because the, the truth is, is we had, you know, we wanted to release this music and then do this festival. And then we had you know, seven or eight other shows that were on the books. You know, Lord knows if we play any of the other shows this year. And so kind of to me, it's kind of a wait and see um, as far as what venues are going to do uh, mm-hmm. for the rest of the year. Um I mean, I would like to finish the music this summer. <laughs> I don't want to wait too long. I mean, it's like, there's, there's a handful of songs that are pretty much done. So we have thought through some strategies of kind of this like super slow rollout. What if we just got a few of them, you know, mixed and mastered and released those. But 
it's almost strategically it would be good to have the whole pie baked and then just serve the pieces as opposed to like i don't know here's a piece that i baked what do you think about this? <laughs> um it's <laughs> if it's good i'll make the rest yeah if it's good then maybe we'll make the other half of the pie yeah i don't yeah. um we yeah. would rather finish the pie first and then serve up the pieces but we'll we'll see what happens I don't well know. i know that kent and i are both really excited to see what you guys put out i i mean i don't want to put more pressure than there there might already be, but I mean, you guys have put out some great music in the past and um and put on some phenomenal shows. My very first rhythm and blooms was the Dirty Govs rhythm and blooms. Oh my, um, that's awesome! And that was it an was show. It was, and <laughs> it was such a it was such a good like welcome party for me back to Knoxville because I was in Nashville for so long that like just being like, oh man, I forgot Knoxville's amazing, and you guys helped kind of do that for me. Uh, so. Well, that's cool. I, I think one thing that we would we would hope is uh, whether people like our music or not. I, ho- I hope that people know that we love Knoxville. I mean, we we start and end every every concert with "We're the Dirty Governors and we're from Knoxville, Tennessee." That's um, awesome. That's the first thing we say on stage, and that's the last thing we say when we leave the stage. I, I make sure of it, and uh, hopefully that makes a small mark for Knoxville. That's that's. Uh, now truth is we're going to need to write some better songs guys if we want to get much bigger there's again that's that's the takeaway here don't get too focused on your marketing focus on your craft (laughs) yeah james thanks Thanks so much man yeah thanks for your time dude we really appreciate it yeah hey you know i hope hopefully there were some nuggets of something oh yeah there was all kinds of good stuff in here for sure and we just can't wait for live music to come back because your band puts on one of the best live shows and we're excited about seeing that. So we were, I mean, we had our, our calendar marked for May and now we've got to, we've got to wait more months. And so we're excited. We're excited about having that back. We're good. Well, we're, we're ready. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to make us all stronger. But that's something hey. Cosmo would say if he was on here. It'll make <laughs> yeah. us stronger. Sometimes we have artists on, we always play out. Is there a song that you want us to play out with? From you guys, Play maybe, maybe baby, ba- baby, we were young. Baby, we were young, or uh, or you want to go yeah. old school and go Blue Rose Stroll? <laughs> that one's old school. That <laughs> is old school. Um, I don't know, or maybe Morning Light. That one kind of makes. Ooh, for, that's a good one. That one's that one's my favorite. Favorite. We'll, play that. we'll play out with that one. That makes for a good kind of play out. It's got like high energy. Yeah. So. All right, man. Well, thanks again. All right. Talk to y'all. Talk to y'all soon. Be well. (laughs)